The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. I looked around at the genre that I loved reading and that I knew I wanted to write in. And it seemed like so many thrillers and domestic suspense in particular really revolved around a primary hetero romantic relationship, right? There was a man and a woman and the woman was the jealous ex-wife or she seemed to have the perfect marriage or she's a mom or she's uh, a widower or, you know, there's just this sort of man and woman at the center of it. And I felt like I myself was single a lot of my 20s, a lot of the first half of my 30s. And I was like, I, my life doesn't revolve around a primary romantic relationship. And yet I feel like my social life and my inner world and my emotional you know, existence are every bit as complex and juicy and interesting. And I just felt like within female friendships, there was so much interesting kind of fodder for psychological thrillers. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. A New York Times bestselling author and journalist, Andrea Bartz, spoke to me about her previous life as a magazine editor, how to write feminist psychological thrillers, and all the tensions, twists, and toxic relationships in her latest novel, The Spare Room. Andrea is a Brooklyn-based writer and editor whose last thriller, We Were Never Here, was a Reese's Book Club pick and an instant New York Times bestseller that's in development at Netflix. Her latest, The Spare Room, is described as a dark, twisted, sultry tale about a lockdown pod that turns deadly. It was named a People Magazine Best New Book, Marie Claire's July Book Club pick, Glamour Best New Summer Thriller, and a Goodreads Most Anticipated Mysteries and Thrillers of 2023, among others. People Magazine called it a fresh, sexy ride, perfect for reading poolside. And number one New York Times bestselling author Lucy Foley called it sexy, atmospheric, and deliciously creepy. In this file, Andrea and I discussed how she decided to turn the domestic suspense genre on its head. What happens when life hits the stop button? The loneliness, fear, and claustrophobia that helped her write the latest how she taps her inner journalist to write fiction, turning the dial to 11 on human relationships, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates 
and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. All right, we are back on The Writer Files. I am very honored today to be joined by an esteemed guest. I have New York Times bestselling author and journalist extraordinaire. We have Andrea Bartz joining us on the pod today. Thanks so much for taking time to do this. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So um, what's the vibe over there in uh, New York City these days? Because I understand, I mean, I guess you're in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. The vibe is just really, really hot this summer. And then it rains really hard. And then the rain does not break the heat. I'm like, I don't do super well in hot, muggy weather. So I've just been trying to survive. <laughs> yeah, the best you can. And and honestly, um, the humidity here on the East Coast has been stifling this summer. Yeah. Where are you based? I'm in North Carolina. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's it's been rainy and, and definitely muggy for sure but the heat uh, has been unsurpassed of late yeah no my partner's family is from her parents are in north carolina and i was kind of alarmed to discover that while the summers are just as hot as i thought they would be the winters <laughs> are still really cold so kind of the worst of both worlds <laughs> well i can't wait to talk about all things writing the writing life this fantastic career you've made and um of course what you're getting into lately uh you're on tour presently i sort of wrapped up a tour uh i was just in a few other places to do book events but yeah my latest my fourth novel the spare room came out at the end of june so i'm kind of winding down that like publicity tornado that comes with promoting a new book that's a good way to put it well very cool and yeah i mean you've had this really interesting career as both a journalist and an editor. And I can't wait to talk about, you know, kind of your path to bestseller. But yeah, before kind of like your debut breakout thriller, The Lost uh, Night, which um, was very well reviewed and an option for TV, I understand. Talk a little bit about, yeah, this this really cool journalism career. And and obviously it, it continues. So you continue to get out there and get bylines too, right? But you're not you're not doing the editorial stuff anymore, are you? Yeah, I'm doing a little freelance writing here and there when when the mood strikes me, when I feel inspired to write something. But uh, I basically, you know, when I was a kid, I, I wanted to be an author. I knew what books were. I loved books. And so that was the plan. And then I went to journalism school in college trying to figure out a way to actually have a career as a writer. And there I discovered magazine journalism and kind of forgot the whole book thing and said, I want to be an editor-in-chief. I want to live in New York City and be a glamorous magazine editor. So I did that for a while. I worked at a bunch of different magazines, primarily women's magazines, like Glamour and Martha Stewart and Self and stuff like that. Uh, And I really did love it. But the entire industry was sort of falling apart beneath my feet And I kept getting laid off because the magazines that I worked at were folding while I was there. So in between, I would kind of freelance and I would, you know, look for a new position and then I would start the whole thing over. And in 2015, 14, 15, I think, I was at my, what would end up being my last full-time job. Obviously, I didn't know that at the time. And I just really loved this editing job. I loved the magazines we were working on. I loved the other people. 
I wanted to stay there forever and came into work one day and found out that even though the magazine was doing pretty well, uh, it was folding. They were selling it as a subscription list to another media company. So I was laid off yet again. And that was the point where I had been like thinking about trying my hand at fiction and kicking around an idea about kind of a, a hipster mystery. And I thought, I need to work on something that can't just be taken away from me. I can't just wake up on a Tuesday and find out that, you know, I can no longer work on it. So I thought, okay, I'll focus on finishing this while I look for my next full-time job. And that ended up being The Lost Night, my debut. And uh, I, you know, for a while sort of worked as a a travel writer, a, a freelance writer, as well as an author. And over the years, as my books have, you know, thankfully sold better and gotten a little more attention, I've shifted the focus where I, I consider myself a full-time novelist now with, like, like you said, a little bit of, of freelancing here and there. So the journalism thing was really great while it lasted, but certainly the editor piece of it has been put aside. Well, that's a cool story and, uh, and inspiring, but uh, yeah, so with your debut thriller and then, of course, now uh, with your fourth the Spare Room, which is out and available now. Talk a little bit about kind of the evolution of, of your novels. And, you know, because I understand you've been kind of uh, called like the queen of feminist thrillers. And uh, I'd be, I'm always curious to hear how authors describe their own work. Because, you know, sometimes when we talk about like domestic thrillers, you know, that's not, a, that's, it's just like a, a classification that, you know, we, ha- we kind of have to put you in a box. But I want to I hear you how you describe your own work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I write feminist psychological thrillers that are very character driven and really go deep into the intricacies of uh, complicated relationships between women. And, you know, with my first three books, they very much focused on these complex friendships between groups of women, or in the case of We Were Never Here, between these two best friends. And the reason for that was that I looked around at the genre that I loved reading and that I knew I wanted to write in. And it seemed like so many thrillers and domestic suspense in particular really revolved around a primary hetero romantic relationship, right? There was a man and a woman and the woman was the jealous ex-wife or she seemed to have the perfect marriage or she's a mom or she's uh, a widower or, you know, there's just this sort of man and woman at the center of it. And I felt like I myself was single a lot of my 20s, a lot of the first half of my 30s. And I was like, I, my life doesn't revolve around a primary romantic relationship. And yet I feel like my social life and my inner world and my emotional you know, existence are every bit as complex and juicy and interesting. And I just felt like within female friendships, there was so much interesting kind of fodder for psychological thrillers and psychological fiction that hadn't been totally explored. So that was sort of the niche that I carved out for myself. And that certainly was very true for my first three thrillers. And then with this new one, with The Spare Room, I wanted to sort of continue writing, you know, feminist books about women taking control over their own lives and making decisions that, you know, maybe are not what we would advocate for, maybe not the best decisions, but that put them in all sorts of interesting, interesting uh, situations. Uh, and in this case, I explored the romantic side of relationships in the form of um, this woman getting into a triad, a, a thruple, 
and discovering her bisexuality, discovering her capacity to love more than one person. But again, though there is a romantic relationship at the center, it's not just what we always see. So yeah, I like kind of pushing the boundaries and yeah, getting really deep into the the psychology and the inner worlds of these these women, these characters, and especially looking at um, all the stuff that society doesn't really like for women to talk about, their vulnerability, their shame, their fears, their anger, their rage, their jealousy, their competitiveness, their pettiness. So that's, that's, I think, a through line with all of my work. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview, and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Did, were you writing this during the pandemic or was this um, finished before the pandemic or how did that kind of play in? Yes, yeah, so I had the idea for the spare room it, during the pandemic for sure. And um, as, as you know, the book is actually set in kind of early lockdown days. And that is the, no, it's not a pandemic book, but that is sort of the backdrop against which this character, Kelly, who's super down on her luck, uh, moves in with this really enchanting couple that sort of offers her their spare room and eventually opens up their marriage to her as well. Um, which is going super great until she discovers that their last lover is missing. And she, you know, begins to wonder if they might actually be dangerous uh, and if she might be next. But the so elements of this, believe it or not, are based on my own true experience, not anything about the grapple, not anything about missing missing persons. Um, but I was living on my own in early 2020 in a little studio apartment. 
and sort of losing my mind with loneliness. And an old friend did extend an, an invitation to come and stay with her and her husband and their toddler uh, for kind of as long as I needed. Just, just come, just get away. And so I ended up, you know, getting a one-way Amtrak ticket down. I brought my little cat in a carrier and I double masked and off I went. And um, it went great. It went well. Again, no, no missing people or nefarious things. But I was sort of inspired. I was really interested in how, you know, across the world, people were getting into these sort of unique situations and um, kind of becoming you know, a pod became kind of your new family. Like whoever you were doing lockdown with was your family and sort of your entire world. And we all sort of like cinched in the the drawstrings of our lives and just were living out our entire existence in this little like crucible of, of whoever we were seeing and wherever we were kind of stuck. Um, so I thought that was very right for, um, for a thriller and it sort of lends itself naturally to, you know, a locked room mystery and just the sense of isolation and claustrophobia and everything's heightened. And very literally, if you, if you had a dead body, like who would know, no one is knocking on your door. You could, you know, if you hear someone screaming, you're not going to go check on them. Everyone was very isolated. So that was a part of what I wanted to capture. And then also at the same time, while I was down in the suburbs of DC, my, my therapist actually was the one who, was sick of listening to me cry about being 34 at the time and single. And I had kind of gone into 2020, like, this is my year. I'm going to meet, you know, meet my husband and life is going to move forward. And then the pandemic hit. And so she was the one who was like, you're 15 minutes from DC. Just, just go on some dates. You can meet people outside. If nothing else, it'll be good fodder for therapy. And uh, so I downloaded one of the apps and the first question it asks is interested in, um, and you can select, you know, men, women, or both. And I had hesitated over this so many times in the past, but then I had sort of defaulted back to what was comfortable, which was selecting men. And there was something about being, you know, hundreds of miles from my sort of normal identity in New York thousands of miles from my conservative Christian upbringing in Wisconsin, you know, with no immediate plans to see family or have to face them or anything. And I kind of went, oh, screw it. And I selected both. And I went on exactly one date in New York, in, in DC. And it was with my now partner of almost three years, Julia. So I met, I met my partner and fell in love and came out as bi all during the pandemic. And I think the, you know, chance for reinvention that the isolation afforded was really a big part of it. And so I knew I wanted to incorporate that into this story as well, really examining like what happens when life, as we know, it just hits stop. And all of a sudden you have this opportunity, this unprecedented opportunity to sort of look at your life and decide if this is what you really want it to be. And I think out of that, we saw a lot of people get divorced. A lot of people moved to a new city. A lot of people, uh, you know, changed careers that got back together with an ex. Um, so I wanted to capture those two elements that I thought felt very timely, uh, in the context of a thriller. So, so I had the entire idea during the pandemic and then, um, had to just sort of carefully and gingerly and in a hopefully non triggering or re-traumatizing way, set the story within the backdrop of lockdown. Again, not about the pandemic, but with that as sort of a 
holding feet to the fire element that makes everything a little bit more intense. Yeah, yeah. What a cool story. And yeah, I mean, kind of everything that you brought up about that very strange, um, seemingly apocalyptic time, you know, that we've all, I guess, kind of com- come out of with really, as you put it, kind of uh, a fresh kind of understanding of a lot of different things. Yeah, relationships for sure. Those kind of moments of, you know, like, who are these people I'm locked up with? Mm-hmm, totally. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, it's like, as you said it, like a lot of people broke up. A lot of people got back together. Um, a lot of people just, just had these fantastic realizations in that, the thickness of that uh, claustrophobia of the lockdown and that kind of impending sense of doom. I mean, and a lot of loss too. I mean, a lot of heartbreaking loss. For sure. I mean, everything, everything gets very real when, when death is kind of just around the corner, like it's very clarifying. And so the combination of that and just all this quiet time, we all kind of woke up from the trance of busyness. And I say quiet time and I recognize that, you know, parents of small kids weren't, weren't sitting in quiet in quite the same way, but at the same time, we just, uh, we were all going a million miles an hour with events and activities and our packed calendars and just so much going on. And then all of a sudden, all of that just dropped away very abruptly. And, um, you know, whether you were alone and, and, you know, sitting and reflecting like me, or you were, you know, locked inside with your family or whatever the situation, I think, um, a lot of us sort of woke up from, from that trance of not even, not even looking around. And yeah, a lot of families got closer. I mean, now some people are saying that there's really things about the lockdown that they miss and they had so much time to really get to know their kids or their partner. And, you know, there's elements of it that they want to continue mm-hmm. on with. So I, I really think it's, it's a, it was an interesting kind of hinge point. Yeah. Well, and it also a really inspiring story. And, and, you know, I mean, I want to talk about your process a little bit coming up here. Um, but, uh, were you able to get pages during the pandemic or was that hard for you? So I got a lot of work done, actually. I had revisions on We Were Never Here, my third novel, uh, due April 30th, 2020. And I think even though I couldn't read, I didn't feel creative. I felt really uh, kind of blocked. Even though all that was true, I had a deadline. And this is my journalism background. Like, I don't miss deadlines. So I worked on that really kind of religiously. And I think it was actually nice for me in those first few months to have like that goal and to have that sort of organizing principle for the day. And then when that was turned in, then I suddenly was like, Oh, God, now I need to figure out the next thing. Uh, So I, I was able to sort of, yes, kick in that, that inner journalist and that inner like, this is a job, this isn't about deep inspiration. This is me having to do this to get paid. I was able to tap into that and get pages down. But I think once I had moved back home and things were a little bit more open, once sort of the deep isolation of the worst of it uh, had lifted, I was definitely more creative and definitely had an easier time getting words on the page. I've heard that a lot of writers experienced some block during the pandemic. And obviously there was a lot of doom scrolling and probably, you know, all of us were just kind of focused on other things. It was hard to be creative. Yeah, congrats on the latest. 
Yeah, Thank I mean, you. just like this cool wall of blurbs, some fun ones. I know, I mean, it's been named like uh, best book of summer everywhere, um, <laughs> most anticipated, et cetera. Um, and then, uh, yeah, some cool ones. I mean, I, I thought it was cool that um, Crime Reads called it a healthy portion of social satire and incisive observation. Uh, do you do you consider that any part of that uh, to be true? The, the kind of social satire piece is that something th that resonates with you? It's interesting. I don't think of myself as writing satire. Um, it's a discussion a lot of people are having right now around Yellowface, right? Those those who are reading it and saying, "Oh, this is such satire," and then others are saying, others especially who work in publishing are like, "I don't think she's being funny. I think this is actually really accurate." So, of course, in the sense that I'm writing thrillers, I'm turning everything up to 11. Like, like I said, there weren't <laughs> real dead bodies or missing people or whatever in, in uh, my own uh, inspiration for any of my stories. Um, but I think I really like examining uh, power and uh, especially women's relationship to power. And so I think, you know... In my books, there's almost always women committing some kind of violence, whether it's uh, emotional or physical. And I think that maybe could be seen as satire, um, but is uh, sort of me experimenting and, and letting out my own dark parts. And as I mentioned, like all that, all that quote unquote unlikable stuff that we don't really want women to um, explore or demonstrate or feel or show. So I don't think of it as satire, but I do think of it as sort of uh, maybe taking very real experiences that women have and very real and human reactions, emotions, et cetera, and turning them up to 11. Yeah, I like how you put that. Um, well, I thought it was cool that Ana Reyes, uh, who's been on this show, said that uh, your latest showstopper kept her up all night turning pages and that seems to be echoed quite often by your peers so i guess there were a lot of sleepless nights at, in the uh, review yeah <laughs> i'm always like you're welcome and i'm sorry <laughs> uh i yeah i mean that's sort of the goal i try to write books that um kind of use psychology to keep sort of twisting the 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 web tighter and tighter and tighter so that once you sort of get on this this roller coaster ride to mix metaphors you don't want to get off until you have all of your questions answered. So it's a huge compliment when people say that they, you know, lost sleep on account of me. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And apparently, and even the cover suggests this, we, we do need to be reading this at the pool. I mean, I, th I, I think it was People magazine that said <laughs> a fresh and sexy ride, perfect for reading poolside, which I uh -huh. immediately memorized because it rhymes. Which I don't think was their intention. Yeah. But, you know, there's a pool in this book. The pool, there's a few pivotal scenes that take place in and around it. So I think it's pretty designed for, for pool or beach reading, if that's your jam. Perfect. Well, I thought it was cool. And the, let's see, I'm going to use the alliterative pact with Bartz's signature tension, twists, and toxic relationships. <laughs> the spare room marks an edgy boundary pushing new direction from the master of the feminist thriller, uh, coined by the LA Times, of course. That's cool, though. Um, congrats on the latest. And yeah, um, talk just like briefly about your, again, you mentioned, we, we touched on it briefly uh, about the pan your pandemic process, but if you could just describe like your most prolific day, um, you know, are you getting up, are you 
doing a pot, you know, like most journalists have this like very, very workmanlike kind of process, but yeah, how, you know, are you making a pot of coffee and just hitting the pages done by noon or what's your, what's your usual day? Yeah, I am definitely guzzling coffee. My girlfriend very kindly brings it to me in the morning. So that's how the day starts. So I start with guzzling coffee and then I generally have a word count goal. So when I first get a book idea approved and I know the date that I need to turn in a first draft, which will be an absurd like 13 months in the future, I work backwards to figure out my own deadlines of like, okay, that means that a few months before that, I'll need to finish the first draft for my own purposes so that I can revise it and then I can send it to my beta readers and then I can incorporate their feedback. And then I can hit that date to send it to my editor and agent. So I um, throw all, you know, I figure out the date I need that first draft and I put it in this uh, online calculator called, I think it's pacemaker.press. And you can select stuff like, oh, take this week off because I'll be, you know, traveling. I would like to do less on weekends. I'd like to do more this week because I'll be on a writing retreat. And it spits out a daily word count goal for you, which is pretty handy. Um, And so then when I'm in writing mode, which is a lot of the year, uh, I am basically done as soon as I have hit that. Um, And so I sit down at my computer and I use the Pomodoro method where I set a timer for 20 minutes. Um, phone needs to be in another room. You can go to tomato-timer.com or you can just Google 20-minute timer, but don't do it on your phone because the whole point is you can't be looking at your phone. And for 20 minutes, I write, even if it's very bad. And then when the timer goes off, sometimes if I'm like really in the groove and in the middle of the scene, I'll keep going. But for the most part, when the timer goes off, then I take a five-minute break and then I repeat. I'm done as soon as I hit the word count goal, unless again, I'm in it and feel like going longer. But there is something about uh, doing the work in order to create inspiration rather than sitting around waiting for inspiration that works really well for me and kind of doesn't allow room for writer's block. You kind of can't sit around and wallet when writer's block too long when it's your job. So that's, that's, how I kind of slowly, brick by brick, build an entire manuscript. Very cool um, to hear. And pacemaker.press sounds like a um, actually a great resource. Um, Pomodoro method in 20-minute sprints, um, I know, is a tried and true tactic. That's great. A, a cool um, revis- revisiting of that, because I haven't heard that in, in quite some time. But um, yeah, it sounds like you have a pretty solid, solid basis of... Uh, getting the getting the pages very cool um well before we wrap up here with kind of your final uh inspiration for your fellow scribes i have a fun one for you um if you could have dinner to any spot in the world or drinks with any author from any era uh who would you take and where are we going uh it's such a great question i always like think of you know i, I say someone and then i think of a bunch more people afterward but you can bring more than one i mean we can we can make it a, a, a dinner party yeah uh, sure <laughs> it's, yeah all expenses paid you know maybe i'll cap it at like six <laughs> okay <laughs> but i'm gonna be there too so well then uh, yeah six i have to think about like you know wedding table arrangements of like who <laughs> should be sitting with who like how does that affect everything um, I think Sylvia Plath would be someone whose brain I would love to pick. Her, The Bell Jar was one of the first books that, you know, as I read it, I kept stopping and going, like, how is she inside of my head? Like, how does she 
describe these emotions that I've never seen in writing before, which is something I now try to do in my own books, but she's the master. And so I would definitely love to just sit down and pick her brain. We also have the magazine background in common. So I feel like that would be pretty fun. So she's definitely high up on the list. I mean, Madeline Miller, I love Cersei so much. And I am fascinated by the way that she can can take something that's not contemporary at all and yet make it so universal. Um, so I would love to sit down with her. And, you know, I'm going to add Samantha Irby because she is like the funniest human I have ever seen per her essays. And I think she would just <laughs> make it completely the best time ever. So I'll stop it there. But I think that would be okay. a pretty fantastic dinner. Um, and in terms of where we're going, God, I love... I, I love travel. I love going everywhere. Um, I haven't been to Portugal yet, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put that on the list as some place where I think I would love the food and I know I would love the scenery. Very cool. All right, so we're having Sylvia Plath plus three, four, and uh, Porto, perhaps for a for a nice uh, scenic dinner on the yes. water. Somebody okay. make yeah. Somebody make us a res real quick. Okay, I'm on it. Uh, sounds like a plan. So just your final pearl for your fellow scribes and just how to persevere. Yeah, I think the most important thing is to just let your draft be bad. It's hard for me. It's hard for everyone. But you have to take off that editor hat and you have to take off the sort of naysayer hat when you're writing and just let it be bad because there's no other way that you're going to finish it. Like it just, it will be, it will be bad. There will be parts of your first draft that suck. And the only way that you're ever going to have a complete draft that you're excited about and that you're proud of is to start with the really, really bad one. So I constantly have to remind myself of this. Don't let the fact that what you're writing is bad be a reason to stop. Let it just be a natural, normal, acceptable part of the process. I love it. That is a perfect place to wrap. Thank you so much, Andy. We appreciate your time, your words, your wisdom. Best of luck with the rest of the uh, tour, be it in person or, or virtual. And uh, hopefully you can come back and wrap with us again sometime. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm. Dot FM.